This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. We get to talk a little bit uh, about Babylon this morning. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit. I mean, even in the book of Isaiah, you have um, a handful of chapters focusing on this idea of Babylon. So uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning uh, at least just trying to make sense of what where scripture is going when it talks about this idea of Babylon. And then um, once I, once hopefully, ideally, we have like our bearings around Babylon and then we'll kind of roll through the passage and, and see if we can make a little bit of sense of that for ourselves. So let me uh, begin with uh, asking the Lord for, for some help. God, you are so good. You encourage us to seek you um, you encourage us to draw near to you. You, you love us. You care for us. You, um, you're graciously present with your people, Lord. Lord, I pray as we consider this this concept, this idea, this historical reality of of the great city of Babylon, that that your word would speak to us in a way that stirs our affections for you. I think we're. I mean, I'm easily pulled away from your goodness and your greatness and your glory and your mercy and your justice and your care and your consideration, your rule, your reign. There's so many things in my life that drag me away from your presence. And and in a real sense, this, this concept of Babylon, I think, is behind the things that pull me away from you. So I pray that you would just give us wisdom to recognize, to recognize when our hearts are drawn away from you and and help us see your glory, see your majesty, so that we could be transformed. So thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for these friends, and uh, thank you for your word. In your name I pray, amen. I also may or may not go um, stool version. I like standing, it just feels more natural, but my foot is killing me. I know, I need to sit, yeah. Um, maybe, okay, I'll try to make this work. Oh, this is, yeah, this is, this is so emergent church right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, well, okay, so we went to a bouncing uh, trampoline place. You can't go to a trampoline place with your three-year-old and not want to jump on the trampoline place. Bridget, when we got home, Bridget gave me the little brace that we got from Walgreens, and she's like, happy 40th birthday, Aaron. <laughs> I was like, dang it. <laughs> I know, so... Um, it's not even the first, it's like literally the third or fourth, fourth time a trampoline park has like destroyed me. So, so you like, at this point, I'm just annoyed that I didn't realize I can't actually even jump a little bit on a trampoline park. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm at right now. I, I told, <laughs> on my knees up the stairs last night to get into bed because <laughs> I couldn't, because <laughs> I couldn't even walk. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> I don't know. That's, it's what, this is what. <laughs> This is this life, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, Babylon. Yeah, how do you go back to Babylon after that? You don't. Um, so we'll just awkwardly move on back to Babylon. Babylon is uh, is a concept that's kind of in in a lot of scripture. You know, I think I've said this before, but Pharaoh is like the the textbook bad guy. You know, uh, in Genesis and in a lot of kind of what's happening in scriptures are, are pointing back to uh, the, the redemption that came through, through Exodus and Moses and 
but that's really, that happens in Genesis and, and kind of early on in, in the revelation of the Old Testament. But as the Old Testament continues, as we get the, the greater and the minor prophets and, and we're reflecting more, uh, even on Isaiah, we're reflecting on uh, what's to come for Israel and in Jeremiah, you're sort of reflecting on what's happening, and Daniel reflecting on what's happening, and then later on, you're reflecting on what happened. A lot of the bad guy, the like the textbook Old Testament bad guy, is Babylon. So, so if you're thinking in like Old Testament terms, Babylon is is regularly um, the the big baddie, so to speak. And so, when you when you think then about Babylon, uh, I think a good way. Uh, you know, when you're trying to summarize a lot of biblical data, it's difficult, and you can asterisk it, and you could probably say it a, diff- a bunch of different ways. Um, but I think a really uh, a good way to describe Babylon is is a culture opposed to the worship of God. A, a culture opposed to the worship of God, and I think that even comes up in Isaiah. Uh, you know, just read a, a couple of things from you. Isaiah 21, it's a, 21 is a whole chapter about Babylon. 12 is a whole chapter about Babylon. But if you look at Isaiah 21, verse 9, a lot of times this is paired together. Um, uh, this, is, this is sort of a, a prophetic vision about the fall of Babylon. And, and a watchman is watching. It says, and behold, here come riders, horsemen in pairs, and and he answered, the watchman answers, fallen, fallen is Babylon. And then along with that, and all the carved images of her gods, he has shattered to the ground. So, so the idea of false worship, false gods is something that's regularly paired with Babylon. And then when you go kind of in contrast to that, especially in the book of Isaiah, um, we could look at uh, the next chapter. We just read chapter 47. But in chapter 48, verse 2, uh, he's talking about the, the holy city, Jerusalem. So these are two cities that are contrast regularly in the book of Isaiah. Um, it says, they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. They call themselves after the holy city. They associate themselves with the holy city, Jerusalem, and they stay themselves, they stay themselves on the God of Israel. So there's this idea of like true worship, um, true uh, uh, drawing my attention to the, the creator of the universe as associated with Jerusalem. And over here with Babylon, there's these false worship, there's these idols, there's, these, there, uh, there's things pulling us away from the true worship of God. And you can kind of expand that out in, in, in scripture. The book of Daniel is super interesting. Um, there's a lot of like fun Bible stories in the book of Daniel. You know, who do doesn't love Daniel the lion's den, you know, or whatever. Um, which apparently, if you know dangerous animals uh, in that part of the world, it should be Daniel and the hippopotamus den, you know, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, which doesn't, you know, doesn't have the same ring to it, I guess. Um, but Daniel, in Daniel, you have all of these stories of Daniel in Babylon and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we'll read a little section of that. Um, Daniel is thrown in the lion's den because they're offended that he would look towards Jerusalem and pray and worship God when sort of like the people are tricked the king into to sort of trapping Daniel. But the idea is that, hey, we're in Babylon and you're the king and worship should only be here for 30 days, only for, you know, for so many days. And 
Daniel's like, no, thank you. I'm gonna worship the God of Israel, the God from Jerusalem where he's present, where the temple is, where God dwells. And so he gets thrown in the lion's den. There's another story in the book of Daniel in Babylon where a king is just living it up, partying it up. His, his, uh, his dad has already was humiliated because he thought he was God and God makes him an animal and brings him back and restores him. But then his son's like partying it up and he's like, go get the golden uh, uh, cups from, from, from that, that temple where we ransacked in Jerusalem. And he basically uses the instruments of true worship uh, to drink and get wasted and party. And, you know, I'm imagining that the king of this nation um, going to town in Babylon was not like a, a kid's party. You know, you wouldn't invite your children to this party. Uh, and so a hand appears out of nowhere and basically writes, you're going to die tonight. <laughs> and so uh, God is very, very offended at uh, the, this, this enemy Babylon who is drawing his people away and, and sort of profaning true worship of God. So, so I'm, I'm kind of sharing some of these things because I think that a one way to summarize what Babylon is in sort of all the scriptural data is to just call it a culture opposed to the worship of God. And I, wanted, I did want to read from Daniel 3, 16 through 18, because we've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, this is the king of Babylon, we have no need to answer you in this matter, as in why won't you fall down and worship me, is what Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying. He, uh, they said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being in Babylon and being told to worship false gods was central to the story of, of false worship. This culture is encouraging to worship not the God of Israel, not Yahweh. And so they're like, whatever happens to us, the key issue for them is that we're not gonna, we're gonna worship God and God alone. And so in Babylon, that's not a pop, in, in a culture opposed to the worship of God, you get thrown in a fire for saying something like that. Uh, and that's essentially what happened to them. And so now um, uh, we're still just kind of building on this idea that Babylon is a culture opposed to the worship of God. Let's jump all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation uh, chapter 17. I'm gonna read just a couple of sections here. It's interesting, the parallels between a lot of the themes in Revelation 17 and in Isaiah 47. You could just do a whole uh, little sermon on the parallels between those things, uh, which we're not gonna do, but I do wanna just kind of show you that the Babylon is like the big bad guy. Um, even in the New Testament, Peter references it, um, talking about those who, he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm writing from Babylon. And he's like, not obviously in that physical place. He's talking about a culture that's opposed to the worship of God. So listen to Revelation 17, uh, read verses one through six, uh, make a couple comments and we'll jump ahead. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the, the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And if you think of Babylon as this culture that's opposed to the worship of God, I think that kind of fits even some of the like imagery that's being said here. Like who, the, who, the ruling class 
regularly benefits from a culture that's opposed to the worship of God. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. And, and there's this, this idea that this person is, is, is wealthy, is opulent, is, uh, we'll even see this when we go back into chapter 47. You may have heard it as we read through some of that. Uh, as we're saying that they're the daughters of, of the Chaldeans. They're, they're sort of finery that they had. And so this, this, this uh, image is, is sort of expressing that to us, that it's, there's, there's, there's legitimate attraction here. There's real attraction to Babylon. And so it gives us this like uh, picture, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and, and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. Mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. And, and it, I think as we think through what is, what is the, uh, what is the, of the 10 commandments, it starts with there shall not be any other gods, you know? I am the Lord your God, worship me. And so what is the, more of an abomination than to encourage or, uh, worship of other gods or to oppose or to oppose the worship of God himself? And so he's, he's explaining this as Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus or the witnesses of Jesus. And so this idea then is that when, 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 we, when we're back into Isaiah and we're looking at this concept of Babylon, Isaiah is talking about a, a real kingdom. Isaiah is talking about a real king that will be set up and do all these things when, we, when he talks about the servant. He's talking about something that will historically happen to the people of Israel. And, and so we can, we can look at how the Bible explains this history to us and we can make sense of that but but the bible is using these historical events to communicate a truth to you and i this is why the new testament can say these prophecies these things are made for you on whom the end of the ages come because we don't have to like figure out like when we're going to be taken off into the city babylon but scripture is using this this anti-god culture using this anti-God culture and communicating to us so that you and I could sort of be uh, on the lookout for a culture that's opposed to the worship of God. And that's where, that's where, as this letter, the book of Revelation is sent to churches who are struggling all over the world. And in chapter 18, verse four, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, Babylon, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Come out of Babylon. The book of Revelation is looking at God's people in the New Testament. I think as we see the influence of Babylon, even in the, the Old Testament history, through Daniel, through Jeremiah, through Isaiah's prophetic visions, they're, they're saying, come out of Babylon. And even historically, you come out of Babylon and you go to where? Jerusalem, where God is present where the temple is, where true worship is. So, so there's this idea when we talk about Babylon as being a culture opposed to the worship of God, it's God is calling us to leave that culture and ourselves move into a culture that's all about the worship of God, which I think the book of Hebrews would say, you and I have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. 
you and I have come to where Jesus is in the presence of God. We're in union with him. So you and I are already in a place where we can be in the very presence of God. Where, where no, no detestable thing can come into that because that's where Jesus is sitting on the heavenly throne. And, and someday the reality of Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and we'll have the new creation, we'll have the new creation reality of God being our God and us being his people. And while we're in this sort of in-between interesting state where the new Jerusalem, the, the reality of being in the presence and truly worshiping and enjoying God in Christ Jesus is true and real, Someone like Peter can write and say, I'm in Babylon. <laughs> like I'm in this reality where I'm involved with a culture that's opposed to God. So before, um, so, so if you think then, this is, um, uh, so I wanna talk about how we leave Babylon and, 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 and go into Jerusalem as we, as we walk through the part of Isaiah. But if you think where I'm going, is all the cultural things around us that are terrible, and I can throw them under the bus. I'm not going that direction. <laughs> so, uh, boo, I, uh, <laughs> I could do that, and I think there is a time and a place for that, but I'm being serious in the fact that Isaiah isn't speaking to the unbelieving world. Isaiah is looking at the church and saying, I have thoughts for you. <laughs> I have words for you, and I want you to deeply consider that. And you, church, you, God's people, you, Israel, are you building a culture that's revolving around the worship of God, or are you in Babylon? And so I liked this quote um, from Steve. <laughs> His last name is Charnock, and someone said that that sounds like a character of Lord of the Rings or something. Um, but his first name is Steve. Um, <laughs> so... Um, so I, I like this quote from Charnock because I think it, it gets at sort of like the problem with us, like the issue with us. Uh, the quote itself is written like 400 years ago, so it's, gonna, it's a mess, so bear with me. It's going to take a little dissecting. Um, sometimes I'm like, are quotes more or less useful if they then have to be explained? But I like this one, so you can be the judge of that. Um, so th thinking about... Uh, the church being allured by a culture opposed to the worship of God. That's kind of, so he is in this section uh, of, the, of the book that he wrote, he's talking about the worship of God. And he's talking about how you and I, when we draw near and we worship God, how easily we're pulled away from that. Like, and he's talking about that in worship. Like, you know, when I'm at work or I'm, you know, breaking myself on a trampoline, you know, we can, we can talk about how uh, I'm not thinking of or considering or being drawn into the presence of God. Here is Charnock speaking to us when you and I are gathered together to enjoy and be in the presence of God. He says, could we imagine our natures so highly contrary to that God who is infinitely amiable, like pleasurable, friendly, like approachable, infinitely approachable. So desirable an object. Could, could we imagine our nature so contrary to a God so good, so desirable an object? Or can we imagine that there should be so much folly and madness in our hearts in, as to draw us back from God in those services, like in the very places where we're meant to be drawn to God, 
our hearts draw us back from God in those services which God has appointed as pipes through which to communicate his grace. Like we are here worshiping in a place where God is meant to use this to communicate his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and his presence. And even here, you and I are allured to Babylon, a culture opposed to the worship of God. Finish the quote. He says to us, can we imagine such folly and madness in our hearts to draw us back from God in those services which God has appointed as pipes through which to communicate his grace to convey himself, his love and his goodness to the creatures. Charnock is recognizing that even in the act of corporate worship, something about us is drawn to Babylon in here. For me, that cuts deep because I, I, who, I can't even tell you the number of random things I probably thought about when Ben asked us to stop and be still, you know? I'm like, oh, be still. I'm off into another place, you know? Or even just, you know, regularly I'm fighting the impulse to think about what I'm going to say when I walk up here so I can just worship and sing. You know, I, like I'm called to worship and praise God. I'm, like I'm standing up here saying that the, what is the chief in demand is to give God glory and to enjoy him. And I'm like, that's, I'm not even thinking of that when we're gathered to sing and worship. So Charnock is just telling us like, look, when, when Isaiah brings up this concept of Babylon, when, when we're talking about a culture that's opposed to the worship of God, man, that is deep rooted even in his own people. That's deep rooted even in the people of God. And if you and I are struggling to enjoy and worship and draw near to God, we can point the fingers out of the church all we want, but it ain't. And what good is that if the church itself isn't enjoying and, and approaching and building a culture that's meant to draw us closer to God? So that's kind of what we're asking then as we go through a few sections here. Um, and, you know, that might seem like the longest introduction ever, but on my notes, that's like half, just so you know, so you don't have to like worry that there's, there's a whole another full sermon there. Um, so so I, I think when we go through this, this chat, when we go through the 47, I think it's as we survey some things, I just want us to be asking God's people, you and I, are we building, what kind of culture are we building? What kind of culture are we building? Are we building a culture like Babylon that's opposed to the worship of God? Or are we building a culture like Jerusalem that has our hearts and minds stayed on him? So then, sort of to unpack that, sort of to like maybe get to the answer to that question, what kind of culture are we building? I have a handful of other questions that will hopefully um, kind of stir uh, thoughts for us. And so the first one is then, where is our uh, Babylon versus Jerusalem? Where is our starting point? Or where, where is our start? Um, so let's look at uh, Isaiah 47. Think about where Babylon is and where they're going. And think about where Israel is and where they're going. 
or maybe I'll put it another way, who starts with suffering and ends with glory? Who starts with glory and ends with suffering? It says, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans are just like the people group usually associated with the, the city Babylon and the rule and reign of Babylon. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Like you, you had the delicacies. You, 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 uh, you were untainted uh, and beautiful and pure. And he's calling them down from this high place. It says, take the millstone and grind flour. It's not typically what uh, the king or queen would do. Put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. I thought of, I don't know if this is, it's some of, sometimes in Hebrew it's just tough to tell like the intention here, but I thought about those, uh, when royalty is like going through, you know, even, even the ark is held above the water when they go through. Um, just, I, so I had this picture of like opulence and like someone, a lot of the slaves and stuff just like holding them and taking them through the river. And now he's, he's calling them to, to walk through yourself. It says, your, your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. I'll keep going. Verse five says, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. It's talking about Babylon. For you shall no more be called the mistress of the kingdoms. You no more be called the mistress of the kingdoms. And this kind of goes back to Revelation chapter 17. Like the, the kings of the earth were more than happy to involve themselves intimately with a culture opposed to the worship of God and benefit from that. You know, I think, oh, this is, <laughs> I, I've had fun conversations with Cole around like what makes a good CEO. <laughs> Sometimes it's just a jerk, you know? Like for better or for worse, <laughs> Some of the most like vicious, pragmatic people in the world are like the most successful. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that's how it ought to be, and I'm not saying it could only be that way. But you know, you read enough biographies and stuff, and you can those sometimes those are the kinds of people that is not that is profiting. That's profiting like uh, I don't know, stumbling with that. That's a culture opposed to the worship of God. Like that's not someone who is drawing near and enjoying God's presence and being shaped and molded and like him, but is very much profiting from that. And here is Isaiah talking to Babylon and saying, hey, you're no more gonna be called the mistress of the kingdoms. You are so high and proud and lofty and thinking that everything you're doing over here as you ignore God, as you reject him, as you pull people away from him, everything about your culture that's completely ignored the true God of, of creation, you're gonna be brought low. You're gonna be destroyed. And he contrasts that with his people. He goes, I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I, I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. And he's, it's interesting too, because this is, comes up in more detail in Isaiah chapter 10. You can just sort of read through that. It's like an expansion of those couple of verses right there in one chapter. But he's saying to his people who God is, loves and cares about and disciplines and uses this God-opposing culture 
to even discipline his people. He uses them to do that, but he does that so that he can raise them up and exalt them. And, and like Christ, who, who was, it was the God opposing, I mean, how much more God opposing of a culture can you get by nailing him to the cross? That's opposed to God. And yet now where is he? Seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, making every enemy his footstool. So I think when we, talk, when we ask ourselves, what kind of culture are we building? One that's more like Babylon or one that's more like Jerusalem? Where do we start? Do we start with humility or do we start with pride? Where do you start? when you think about building a culture at home or at work or in the church that you know best or that you need the Lord's help. Luke 14, 11, I mean, Jesus just says this straight up. I think I have it. I'll just read it off of that. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Are you building a culture like Babylon? Are you more excited to exalt yourself? <laughs> I was thinking about that, and I, most of you guys are really cool, and I hang out with you, I don't like, no one's like, no, yeah, someone probably isn't, and you don't know who it is, no, I'm just, <laughs> um, I don't, I mean, we've all been around people that have, all they want to talk about is the things they accomplish, you know? Um, and sometimes when I'm around those people, I, I feel bad because I'm like, man, they need me to hear all this. Um, but that's, I don't think that's um, people at Emmaus. And so I was just like, I think it's easy to like project this, like those who humble themselves will be exalted, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. How do you though, I'm giving you, I'm a, no one I know is like that. How do you then, Humble yourself as you approach God. Do you know what he should be doing for you? Do you have a list of demands? Are you upset when he doesn't act the way you think he should act? I mean, I am sometimes, honestly. Like, Lord, this would have been so much better. And I think it's okay to be, I mean, the Psalms, let out, we can express those things. It doesn't make us not his people. But if we're truly building a culture that's centered around the worship of God and we're not participating in Babylon, how we approach God has to start with humility. And if we approach God that way, I bet you'll approach your neighbors that way. <laughs> if he's humbled you, then he will exalt you in his timing. So if we want to build a culture like Jerusalem that's just centered around the worship of God that Babylon hates, then we need to approach God even with a measure of humility. Another thing we can ask as we try to build a culture that doesn't look like Babylon is, is where is our love? Where is our love? 
listen to, I mean, this is, Babylon, and Babylon is, uh, the prophet here is like speaking for Babylon, like Babylon said this, you know, in their heart. So God's like exposing sort of like the root heart issue for us to see. And it, Babylon actually uses some of the same language that God uses for himself. So listen to how me-focused and sort of secure Babylon is expressing as we go through this. Look at verse 7 in Isaiah chapter 47 says, You said, Babylon, you said, I shall be mistress forever. <laughs> so they did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Remember that the pride that you have ends in humility and humbling. I shall be mistress forever. Now, now therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, like that's a, that's, I'm the center of things. I'm the one who decides right and wrong. I'm the one who knows what's best for me. I'm the one that should pursue X, Y, and Z pleasures. I'm the center of everything. Verse 10 says, you felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray and you said in your heart, again, it's repeated, I am and there is no one besides me. I am and there's no one beside me. I mean, if we're building a culture opposed to God, we are gonna be at the center. I'm gonna be at the center. You're gonna be at the center. And that, I like how it says, it's, you know, they said in there, it says, you said in your heart a couple of times, because most of us aren't saying that out loud, right? <laughs> like, I'm not... Actually, no one has said that to me at the church. I am and there is no other. <laughs> Actually, had some interesting conversations. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we had uh, someone tell us they were God, actually. So that did happen once. I think you might have been around for that. Um, but most of us do that in a little more subtle way. <laughs> most of us do that in a little more subtle way. And I think that it's interesting to me that that parallels with like our security in our wickedness, because I think we get, I mean, I know, we, we get callous to certain sin patterns in our lives and we're comfortable with them. And sometimes we get callous with certain sin patterns in our life because we're just, we're like, we feel like we've done everything or we've like, we've done the Christian-y things related to that and nothing has changed. And so we just ignore it. And we don't really think about it. And it's like not something that bothers us. And, and before long, it goes from I'm not really thinking about it to just feeling secure in where I'm at. And we say in our heart, no one sees me. Because at the end of the day, that's all kind of like me-centered. <laughs> and I'm saying to God, like, hey, I've done all the things and you just haven't fixed it. Or, or I, I, this, or I think a lot of times when we get to a certain point, we just say, I know God's word says X, but it's not really that bad. 
One that like I hate even to bring up to you guys because it's going to bother me now for like the rest of the week and then I'll get callous to it and I won't think about it. I don't like the words speed and limit. It seems so dogmatic. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? Should I not feel bad about that? Should I feel bad about that? What's interesting to me is I wrestle with that and I think about that. It's more probably the fact that I like to be control over my own destiny <laughs> because I am God and there's no other. <laughs> so if I have to be here, if this thing I have to be at is this important, it doesn't matter how fast I go. It's such an annoying, it's like God is regularly reminding me of how I don't trust him. You know, we can talk about flows of traffic and all the other things, but the fact that the words are speed and limit, I just like, it bothers me. It's too dogmatic. Um, but that's the thing. It's like in our hearts, when we get to this place where we feel secure in our wickedness, we're basically now setting ourselves up as God. And we are building the culture that's opposed to the worship of the true God. Because then we'd have to trust him. Then we'd have to draw to him. Then we'd have to rely on him even for our own sanctification. Maybe another thing to ask. Another, maybe, uh, when I say where is our love, is it, is it for self or, or is, it, is it for God himself? I think another thing to ask is like, what, is, what makes you more uncomfortable <laughs> other people being offended or God? Like, what makes you more uncomfortable? <laughs> and I think a lot of that, I mean, I'm not going to, like, analyze every single one of you, and you guys should self-reflect on that, but maybe I'll just say for me. For me, a lot of the discomfort there is because other people are in front of me, <laughs> and because they image God, I value what they think and, and say. <laughs> And God isn't like right, you know, I'm literally ignoring him so that I cannot be offended by him. And it's just showing that my love is really for myself and not for him. I'm, because I'm more offended at what other people might say or think and than I am God, like we shouldn't offend other people. It's not an excuse to just offend people. But it's like what's more important is, is what I'm trying to say. Like what do you love more? Do you love the approval of the creator of the universe more or do you love the approval of your friends around you? And it's really easy for me to say I love the approval of my friends around me because they're right there. And that's just me building this culture that's opposed to the worship of God. And that's why John is calling to us. That's why Isaiah is writing this to us and he's saying, look, the end of that is ultimately destruction. And if you've ever, you know, um, as a, as someone who is helper-oriented, <laughs> if you ever make a bunch of decisions revolving around somebody else, man, you know at the end of the day that will disappoint you at some point. As opposed to making our decisions around honoring and drawing near and worshiping God. Uh, the final one is asking ourselves, what kind of culture are we building? Um, and maybe I'll just stop and, and say this. It's interesting 
In this chapter, it's sort of like, it's like a lot of the bad news, and so we're going over a lot of the bad news. <laughs> but even in all of this, as we build a culture, I just wanna remind you guys, as, we're, as you and I do things regularly that build this culture of Babylon, that don't draw us into the worship and praise of God, recognizing that and starting with a measure of humility is what God desires of us and does to build us up and draw us more into his presence. Like he's so committed to you he, he's so desirous to be with his people, with you, that even when we recognize how we've fallen short of that, God loves that. That's a great posture. And he says, come, I welcome you. Enjoy me more. So we don't have to like worry about these things in the sense that it, it loses an opportunity for us to enjoy more of God, because it doesn't. You know, I said it last week, like, do you believe in a God that's disappointed in you? And if you do, that's a false God. But if, because if you stand in Christ, no matter how much of Babylon you're helping to build, he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my presence. That's the God that we worship. That's why, that's why we want to recognize when we're building a culture that's more like Babylon so that we can build a culture that's like Jerusalem that actually can enjoy God, that can worship him, that can draw near to him, that can, that can recognize that his loving kindness extends for forever, his mercy and his grace is beyond anything that we can comprehend and we can regularly come towards him. That's the beauty, that's the, the majesty, that's the wonder of building a culture that's more like Jerusalem and less like Babylon. Finally, We'll look at this section quickly. It says, where is our, uh, we can ask ourselves, what kind of culture are we building is where is our wisdom? Where is our wisdom? And it, and it kind of like, uh, I had, uh, we're not gonna go to a section in Exodus, but he goes off and he talks about uh, sorceries, enchantments, um, you know, your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. St uh, verse 12, stand fast in your enchantments, your many sorceries, um, and then in verse 14 and 15, he's like, hey, all of these enchantments and sorceries and your wisdom, um, at the end of the day, gets you nowhere. At the end of the day, these things get you nowhere. And if you go to Exodus, it's interesting. Uh, there's a, uh, sorceries, enchantments, wisdom, and knowledge. Like a lot of those things are bunched together um, in scripture. And I think for me, when I think of that, I think of like Harry Potter or something, you know, like, no one's over here like waving wands, so um, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but it, a lot of times in scripture, this is talking about like the given experts of the day. The experts of the day. And I think in Exodus is a really good story. You can go look at it later if you want. Um, but in Exodus is a really good story uh, in chapter seven when, when Moses comes and, and he puts a stick on the ground and turns into a snake and he's like, hey, call the experts, call the enchanter, call the wise people, and call the pharaohs like, like phoning all the experts, and, and they th throw their sticks down and make snakes too. You're like, what? what? <laughs> like, that's because that was their expertise or something? You know, like, what in the world is going on? Now, Moses' snakes eats their snakes, so it's like, ha-ha, you know? <laughs> so, so, so it's interesting, and so it's kind of hard to make sense of that. And C.S. Lewis, in the Screwtape Letters, He's talking to the demon and he's like, hey, the demons, the, the younger demons, like, can we make ourselves like known to them? Like to freak them out, you know, and scare them. And Screwtape is like, look, as much fun as that is, 
right now, high command, as in, you know, the Satan and his minions, we're taking the official position of being materialist right now. We don't want them to know that there's any spiritual things. So he contrasts materialists and magicians. He's like, as much as I would love for the dark arts to be like a thing we're, we're onto right now, the official position of our, our place is that we're gonna be materialists right now. <laughs> but, but the point of even that like demonic way of communicating it is uh, ignore God. <laughs> like you can be uh, into the material world and completely ignore wisdom that God has communicated about his creation. You can pretend that there is no spiritual dark forces. Talk to any, talk to any missionary in a third world country and they'll look at you like you're crazy. And I think when we ask ourselves, what kind of culture are we building? Are we building one that's centered around the worship of God or are we, centered, are we building one that's opposed to the worship of God? We should also ask ourselves, where do we go for wisdom? Do we go to God and his word where he's communicated so much to us? You know, I, you know there's people that do this, so this is not a un- crazy thing, but there are principles in Proverbs that help us think about macro and micro ways to deal with our economic situation, us and the culture at large. Like, people have considered those things, you know? And I, most of us don't have to worry about the macro side of things, but we, you know, we have budgets and things. Scripture's communicating us wisdom on how to handle and how to do with that. And I think, do we spend more time watching, you know, I don't know what's, YouTube videos I feel like are not cool anymore. Do we spend more time like <laughs> following our friend on TikTok, giving little snippets or, or reading online? Or do we spend more time really digging in and trying to understand God's word? Because if we're more impressed with the wisdom that's on ChatGPT than the wisdom that comes from God himself, whether we know it or not, making that wisdom the thing that we lean on is going to ultimately lead to destruction because we're building a culture opposed to the worship of God as, a, as, as opposed to building Jerusalem, which is all about God and his word. It's really interesting, even in Isaiah, and maybe I'll, I'll kind of end with this and wrap it up. He's talking about, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about ultimately when Jesus is raised again, and the gospel goes out to the nations. It's this really beautiful picture in chapter two. He says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the nations shall flow to it. Like, like everyone will come and draw near to Jerusalem, this, this heavenly Jerusalem, this reality that where Christ is today in flesh and blood, nations will draw to it. And they will say, and here's what they'll say when they come to this place where the worship of God is centered. They'll say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Why? That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Let's gather into the presence of God. Let's flow into this culture being built around the worship of God so that we can learn the wisdom that they have. But 
church, now we can point the finger outside. I'm trying to point it a little inside. If that's not where you go for wisdom and instruction, no, your neighbors aren't going to be flowing into that either. And I don't know where that is or what that looks like in your life. We all have things we're wrestling with. But I think it's good to just ask, what does scripture say about our finances, the economy, government, pick a thing, schooling, teaching, our children. I mean, these, there's a lot in scripture that can communicate wisdom to us. And do we take the time to consider what God is saying or do we look for a quick fix on Google and scroll? And I'm not saying you can't use that as a means to get into, you know, like I, I do. But, but I think that's where we have to examine our own heart. Like, a, what kind of culture are we building? Are we building a culture centered around the worship of God in Jerusalem? Or are we going to other things and unknowingly often building a culture that, like Babylon that's opposed to the worship of God? So I appreciate you um, hanging out with me through another chapter of Babylon, the least encouraging section <laughs> of Scripture the great prostitute. Um, but I think it's good. I think knowing that we have a merciful and kind God, knowing that we fall short regularly, knowing that that doesn't change his disposition towards you, the church of, of all of us should be able to examine what is wrong and, and reflect that on yourself and say, where do I reflect this? Because I have nothing to lose. I only have something to gain. I only have the opportunity to build a culture more around the worship of God. And I only have the opportunity to enjoy more of his presence, more of his goodness, more of his love, more of his infinite, amiable nature. <laughs> so let's pray and thank him for that. God, you are so good. And you tell us these wrong things because you desire to draw us towards the right thing, towards you, towards your character, towards your nature, towards your wisdom, towards your goodness. And, and you're revealing that in everything that's been made. Uh, and, you're, and you're redeeming us and transforming us and changing us through what you've communicated in your word through scripture. So Lord, I pray that you would just convict us where necessary, <laughs> where, where we may have been building Babylon, um, help us see that more clearly. And, and, you know, in some sense, we're never really going to be free of that until eternity. But, but as we are transformed, as we see you more beautifully, as we draw near to you, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And Lord, it would be a beautiful thing to see nations draw near to a culture that's centered around your worship. So I thank you for this time and I thank you for the opportunity even to worship you today. In your name I pray, amen.